So what happens next is once you feel safe and you're, and really the safety comes from knowing, trusting yourself. You're listening to Creatives Making Money, the podcast for creatives who are on a mission to do the work they feel most called to do and make some money while they do it. This is a show for the makers, the dreamers, the doers, the creators, the artists, the crazy ones, and the ones who are determined to consciously build the life and career of their dreams. Here, we don't just believe in getting your dream job. We believe in creating it. So what does creative success even look like? How do we live a fully expressed, abundant AF life? That's precisely what we're here to find out. My mission with Creatives Making Money is to conduct 100 interviews with successful creatives and those who love and support them about money, career, and the process of making and doing what they most love, including all of the ups, downs, and in-betweens. I'm your host, Jamie Jensen, writer, storyteller, filmmaker, serial entrepreneur, and shameless creator. No matter where you are in your creative and financial journey, I'm here to help you create like you mean it. Hello and welcome to Creatives Making Money. Today, we are speaking with Nadia Munla. Uh, Nadia is an embodiment coach who guides women to sensual nourishment and embodied power by helping them reconnect to their body. She is immensely passionate about supporting women in their journey back to their embodied essence so they can feel vibrant, alive, feminine, and free again. Through her one-on-one coaching, embodied dance classes, and embodied teacher training, Nadja has guided thousands of women across five continents on their journey back to themselves. I'm so excited to have Nadia here with me today because she's one of my oldest, closest friends in addition to being a creative making money. Hi, Nadia. Hi. <laughs> my favorite part of this intro was that you, you actually pronounced my name the way that it's pronounced, the way that I don't even pronounce it anymore. So I'm excited <laughs> to refer to myself as Nadia <laughs> in, this, in this podcast. I try, when I, I try sometimes to actually pronounce it correctly. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. And I want to make sure that everyone who listens knows exactly how to say your first name correctly. so fun fact uh for those of you who know enough about me to know that that i have a filmmaking background and there was once upon a time an independent romantic comedy that was written co-directed and launched released available digitally (laughs) uh nadia was my co-director and partner and producer on that project Um, so we worked together on many a creative project and that all began with a movie. Yep. What a movie. It's crazy, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was like, feels like yesterday and also feels like 16 lifetimes ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny how the content of that project still feels relevant to like, when I look back on us doing that, I'm like, oh, that makes sense that like <laughs> we're doing what we're doing now, uh, you know, based on like what that project was and what it was about and what we cared about and what the message was and like the whole point of it. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. I think, you know, I actually was just, just a few days ago, I was on this panel um, about finding your purpose and what I was speaking to, to these Um, beautiful people was basically that, you know, ultimately like your North star, your why, the thing that like fuels you, that gets you out of bed, that just like makes you want to do things generally always tends to come from the same place. It's just the expression of it may change in different chapters of your life. And I think this is like a perfect example of that is that, you know, we've always been incredible. So one, we've been very creative. We are storytellers and we'd like to use story to impact the world, right? And to share our views and to explore certain things um, around topics that are relevant. And so for us, we've always been really passionate about anything to do with women's issues um, and sex, <laughs> right? So like women's issues, body, sex, sensuality, what it means to be um, a, a, a sensual, sexual woman, and what are the different sort of social 
stigmas around stepping into like one identity, one sexual identity versus another sexual identity, which is really what we did in this movie. So I think like a lot of these things I know for me still comes up all the time in the work that I do. It's just in a very different um, world and with a different platform, but the actual stuff that like excites me is the same. And I feel like for you, it's, it's quite similar. Oh, yeah. And I feel like for the for anyone who's listening who doesn't know about this project, it's called Hannah Has a Ho Phase. Um, and it is a raunchy romantic comedy. And it really does touch on this idea of like being promiscuous versus like being prude, essentially. Um, in, quotes, in air quotes, right? <laughs> in air quotes, right? Like this, these like very extreme concepts of, you know, it, it is the like Mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, like, you know, contrast right and how how in the patriarchal society women are seen a particular way that value is based on them a particular way there's stigmas there's judgment and you know all of that stuff really does kind of suck away our ability to be empowered in our bodies and in our sexuality so uh so yeah you know we just wanted to like make a statement about that and (laughs) i think we're still working (laughs) on it (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that like when I think back to when we actually were developing it, I guess it must have been 2009, something like that. And, and, and then, you know, it went out into the world in I think 2011 it was, or 2012. And so it was quite a while ago, and yet still, ooh, I just looked at the watch and it's 11-11. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was, it's really interesting because even now today with where we are in our social climate, with gender relations, with all the talk about, um, you know, what it means to be a woman with different power dynamics. Like I feel like everything is still so incredibly relevant and we're just in the midst of this exploration around um, our erotic being dangerous essentially, or or, our sensual being unsafe, which is like one of the messages that I work with a lot in my work now. Um, and that I think is really coming up in, in the world, especially specifically in the U S but in the world as well, um, around for both men and women, by the way, I feel like, you know, we've been really in the world of women, but I think now there's a lot of stuff coming up for men as well in that uh, realm, but that's a different, I feel like that's a, probably a different conversation. <laughs> what do you see coming up in your work with women primarily that relates to that? So um, I work a lot with um, three different core messages that women get plastered on their bodies as they grow up, essentially. And so what we're doing in our work in coaching or in movement classes um, or workshops is really about, I think of it like peeling off these layers. So we're actually just coming back to ourselves and who we were and who we really are in our essence. And we're taking off these like so- social messages that aren't necessarily our truth and have just been learned. And one of those is that our erotic is dangerous, right? So as women, it's like, as you're growing up, like at some point or another, you've gotten this message either through small little offenses or through much bigger ones um, where there's been a, you know, a clear understanding that, Oh, huh. Me actually being in a feminine body, me uh, being in the energy of my erotic, which is a natural energy that shows up at some point in your life um, that that is, you know, either it's, it's going to pull in too much attention or if you don't, sort of give it away, then it also, you get punished. So you get these, like, all these confusing messages about, like, well, wait, hold on, what, how is the way to actually be where I get, quote, unquote, accepted, or where I get the, the right love that I'm actually looking for? And so it can be- become a really confusing topic for, for women. Um, what are the other two messages? The other two messages are that play is unproductive, And this is in the realm of like work, right? The hustle. Um, And then uh, that emotionality is weak. And the truth is like all three of these messages are very much a 
a representation of the system we live in right now. So they actually are, they're not great for women, but they're also not great for men. Like I happen to be really focused on the women's side of things, although I'm, I'm starting to branch out more into how this is affecting men. Um, but in the last, I don't know, what, eight years or so, it's been really me working with women on getting them free of these messages. Like, oh, we can't be, you know, speaking of like creatives making money. I mean, like play is such a key piece of being creative, you know, and getting yourself into a place of like free flowing downloads and creativity and like inspiration. And yet so often we get like really contracted and stuck behind our computer screens or, you know, looking at the to-do list. And so, um, and we have, we feel like, Oh, okay. Once I get this done, then I can go play whatever your version of play is. You know, it might be like, Oh, I'm going to go to this like fun Zumba class that I do in the evenings, or I'm going to go have a, you know, drink with a girlfriend, or I'm going to go take a walk or, you know, and it's like, actually, you know, that is what you need in order to juice up your creative energy in the first place. But it's often, you know, when we're young, we get taught like, oh, okay, finish your homework, then you get to go play. <laughs> so it's very deeply, I think, etched into our nervous system that it's not really okay to do that. Do you think that that's like also <clears throat> kind of speaks to our societal devaluing of creativity in general? Like that it's like <laughs> not, it's like not commercially or economically valuable to have playtime, to be creative, to like, to, to have an open channel to even access ideas and like totally. things. Totally. Because then everyone goes rogue, <laughs> which is what's happening now, which is great. Right. But it, if you think about the systems in place, like, you know, just capitalism, right? I mean, what does it thrive on? It thrives on like good workers who show up, you know, and clock in and clock out and don't like mess with the system and don't like question anything. And they just like show up, are really productive, get whatever needs to get done, which is usually related to profit motive, which isn't bad. It just might be, you know, now where we are, we've sort of hit the shadow side of all of it, which is, you know, profit over anything else, profit over, you know, the sustainability of like us on this planet, profit over uh, people's living standards, profit over, you know, um, any sort of holistic view of what matters in the world. And so what happens is, yeah, there's a very clear, like, do not creative, see creative energy and like sexual energy, right. Are both that, that second chakra, like point where they're start, they, yeah, they're they both, both are in the wrong. second chakra. Right. Mm -hmm. And for, for those, those listening who aren't familiar with the chakra system, the second chakra, these are just energy points in our body, um, according to Chinese medicine. And, and the second chakra is between your um, belly button and your pubic bones, sort of there in the middle. And that's really, you know, for women, that's sort of like the womb space area. So it's just like the place where we birth and the place where also we have our womb, which is, of course, a um, part of our reproductive system. So sexuality. So all of it is very morphed. And I think there is a threat to people who are very connected to their creativity, to their life force, to their sexual and erotic energy, because it's all sort of that same thing, which is like a person ready to, you know, to just like do whatever they want, whatever they feel inspired to, which isn't necessarily a good employee. And so I think that's, that's where that comes from. I was always a terrible employee. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. That's not actually well, true. That that's was, actually <laughs> true. I was just going to say this. If I back up, like for real, you and I were the type of employees that people didn't actually want to ever get rid of because like we true. are good workers and like we do a good job because like we care about doing a good job, mm -hmm. care about being good at what we're doing. But, but, but I was miserable. But right. exactly. But we're not happy, yeah. right? Like we can show up for someone else and do a great job, but like the joy isn't there. Totally. And it was because, you know, our values, which I think, I mean, it's a really great value to be like, I want to show up for people and support people and make sure I do my job and be accountable and responsible. And then also it's like, okay, well, when your whole, when so many of your life choices are driven by what are other people going to think, or I want to make sure I please other people, then of course, you know, an element of our own self-love is taken away 
automatically because we're not thinking about like, wait, hold on, do I even like this? <laughs> no, I don't. I actually really hate it. So when you encounter a client or someone in the world that you that could potentially work with you or would be somebody who would be a good candidate and you can kind of feel or see or witness that they're that they're maybe disconnected from that chakra uh-huh. um, around creativity and around sexuality and around, you know, that, that they're just not, I'm going to use the word fully embodied, even though I know that like, that's just one chakra and one uh-huh. area where they can be kind of, you know, yeah. not fully in their body and not fully connected to where their energy and spirit and body, you know, talk to each other. Uh-huh. What is that? How does that show up? You know, so if somebody isn't really connected to their, let's say, creativity and sexual energy, how do you see that showing up in their body? Well, usually there's a lot of contraction. There's a lot of pain. Um, there's a lot of feeling uh, like there's a lot of adrenal fatigue. So exhaustion, lack of inspiration, obviously, and um, just sort of like a sense of blah. Like they come to me and they're like, "Ugh, I just feel like blah. Um, and that's because literally their life force is not circulating through their body. Right. And, um, that could be from, uh, from a lot of different reasons. Like it could be the source of, it could be a physical situation, something in their nutrition. It could be something in their, um, their movement or lack of movement routine. It could be something really basic like that. Um, or, you know, maybe, or something that they're eating that they don't know they have a sensitivity to that's sucking, you know, sucking away their energy. Or it could be just like misalignment in their life. Like they're working in one career and really their heart and their soul is like, I really want to be doing this other thing, but there's all these reasons why I haven't done it yet, or I don't feel I could ever do it. It could be around, you know, the shutdown of like stuff around their sexuality, right? Like having had a really serious incident or incidences where incidents, incidents <laughs> where they, um, they completely just turn off or bring down the volume to zero of their own like erotic energy because they think that's the way to feel safe. Right. So there's, it can, the, the core can come from so many different areas. And that's why I sort of work with people through like four different pillars of embodiment and sort of walk through um, where it is that the source of really their, their pain and their suffering is coming from initially. And there's always work to be done in all of the different pillars. Um, but it just, you know, for, for most people, I start in pillar number one, which is around, I call it seeds of safety, which is really about working with increasing our capacity to self-regulate, which is really about understanding our nervous system, understanding that most everything that we do is around, do we feel safe or not? Um, is there a protection mechanism that we are not, not even conscious of in our nervous system that is stopping us from making certain decisions or showing up in a certain way. And so I think once we get the foundational piece there, then we can look at, we can be, do the detective work around. Is it also something you're eating? How do you like your job? Are you in the right relationship? You know, those sort of things, just your whole life. (laughs) Basically it's everything. So, (laughs) but I do think, I mean, really when you strip it down, it's, um, I think, the most efficient work. And this is sort of where the work that I do is a little bit different than, say, um, you know, typical like life coaching or, or just typical health coaching, too. It's that like there is, you know, two, there's sort of the idea of like top down um, therapies, right? Um, the, the, the sort of cognitive therapies and then somatic therapies. And what does that mean? So cognitive therapies are like the talk therapy. It's like a mindset coaching, right? Like this sort of world where it's top down, where it's really like, okay, if you can shift something um, in the way that you're thinking, then everything else will sort of fall into place. And the work that I do is the other way around. It's from, it's bottom up, it's somatic, it's of the body, because I truly believe having, you know, learned more and more about the nervous system and trauma theory that really the most efficient way, it's not that talk therapy doesn't work. It's not that life coaching doesn't work. All those are great modalities and often in tandem, they're actually like the most effective. But I found 
that if we go straight to the body and address certain things through breath, through movement, um, that a part of your nervous system, you know, only speaks that language of breath and movement. It doesn't actually speak like words. Um, and so if we go in that way, a lot of shifts can happen in your, in your overall like physiology and your overall um, just way of feeling in life um, that just happens way quicker than the other way around, which is why I love it so much. What are the other pillars, if you don't mind sharing? Of course, I'd love to share. Um, so first we go into, like I said, the first pillar was seeds of safety. So increasing our capacity for self-regulation. The second one is um, awakening your Aphrodite. It's for the women. You can just replace that with can I ask something when you of talk course. about self-regulation? I just yeah. want to like understand and make sure that we're all understanding what you mean by that. Yeah. touched on that, but I feel like when I hear that, yeah. even I'm making up what it means. Totally. <laughs> okay, great. Great. Thanks for asking that. Self-regulation is about really being a master of your own nervous system and understanding what you need to do. So having a set of tools that you know work for your particular body when you start to feel anxious, when you start to spiral, um, any, anything that gets you to a place where you feel not regulated, right? So when you're not in a place of balance, because ultimately we have, um, we have these, I'll sort of go into like a, a one minute science lesson around this because I think it's so important for everyone to know this. And I was like, how did no one teach me this? Um, so we have, right, like, um, we have our parasympathetic and our sympathetic uh, nervous system. And the very simple way to think about this is that the sympathetic is the accelerator and the parasympathetic is the brake. So this is the part of our nervous system that's responsible for survival. You've probably heard about the reptilian brain and how, like, we go into fight or flight when we feel like a tiger is about to pounce on us, except we most of us don't live in a place where there's actually a tiger that's going to pounce on us. And so we have all these other like stresses that create the same response in our body. We open up, you know, our bank account and we see our, our crazy like credit card bill. We have that response. We get a text from our mother and we have that same response. We have a fight with a friend or a partner and we get that same response. Um, and that is the response there is that accelerator. It is the sympathetic nervous system, bringing up your heart rate, dilating your um, pupils, like getting your hands sweaty, right? Like all the things that happen when you need that extra charge of energy to run away or to fight something that's about to threaten your life. Except like we know your mom's text is not going to threaten your life, even though it's super annoying. All the other things, again, are not actual life or death situations. And so what happens is most of us are running around in the world right now with modern life stresses in this low grade version of still being in accelerator mode, which is why we have so much exhaustion, so much adrenal fatigue, so much, you know, pan so many panic attacks and anxiety and depression and all those things. And so if we can learn how to shift those gears from the accelerator to the brake and be able to notice, oh, look, these are the symptoms. This is what happens when I start to get into that place where I feel like it's a matter of life and death. And what do I need to do when it comes to breath and movement? Because it's all very in the body um, that I can do to get myself back into a place of um, slowly getting the brake on and going back into parasympathetic. And parasympathetic is actually the only state in which your body can rest and digest and completely heal itself. So all the problems we have, the therapists we go to, the doctors we go to, all the, you know, the meds that we might have to take, um, think about it like the, the animals don't really have to do that because they have this natural, they have a natural system of, of self-regulating, um, usually in the form of like instant shaking right after they have like a moment uh, of like fear that shows up. We don't shake. Like it's not socially acceptable to just be like, I just got a, t a really annoying text from my boss. Let me just like shake it out and yell really loud in the middle of like the New York subway platform. Like it's not, I mean, well, maybe in New York it would happen, <laughs> but like anywhere else, it's not really okay to do that. And so we hold it in and that excess energy just sort of circulates through our body over and over again. And so then every time anything shows up, it starts to feel like super, you know, there's just like a lot of energy and, and anxiety that pulsates through us. So the more we can start to work that muscle of, uh, self-regulating of self-soothing which 
in other terminology would be like being your own mom to your own inner child is really another way of looking at it. The more then you feel really capable of going to the next level, which is, oh, I want to feel like vibrant and sexy and juicy and turned on and da, 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 and all those things, which is usually what people come to me for. And I'm like, well, guess what? The work of feeling sexy isn't actually sexy because we're going to go back to self-soothing your inner child first. And then we will get to the, the second pillar of getting you, you know, excited. So what you're saying is that Taylor Swift, we should just shake things off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're saying that Taylor Swift is onto something is what I'm hearing. Right? 100%. <laughs> yes. Yes. So figured it out, you know, thank you for explaining that and bringing that down for us. Um, I would love to hear about the other three pillars. I'm just so curious, like what happens on this journey? You know, like, tell me what happens next. So what happens next is once you feel safe and you're, and really the safety comes from knowing, trusting yourself. Like I can pick up on the symptoms when shit, shit's getting really like crazy and I can sort of bring myself, I have this toolkit of different tools to bring myself back to a place of, okay, we're back. I'm okay. I feel the ground under my feet. I feel supported. I've got myself taking care of myself. And now I can move into this realm of what's actually possible for me. Because I think often people just go into, I want to feel, you know, sexy. And they're like doing all those you know, there's, these are all nice things, but it's like, oh, I'm going to go buy myself sexy lingerie and I'm going to like, do, you know, learn, I'm going to take a lap dance class and, and lap dance my partner. And it's like, these are all great. I do all of them, love all of them. And if you don't have that foundation, if it doesn't come from the inside out, then it's not going to feel good. It's going to feel like a costume. It's going to feel like you're performing. It's not going to come from this authentic place. And so we do that piece first and then we move into what is it like to create pleasure and more delights in your day to day so that you can be responsible for your own turn on and not have a lot of that be dependent on another person, be you, whether you are in a relationship or not, whether you're dating or, you know, maybe you're even very consciously choosing not to date, but like in all those situations where, you know, you can unconsciously give the power to the other person, like, oh, I need someone to come and turn me on. It's like, no, actually, how, what can you create in your life, whether it's a sensual movement practice in the morning, whether it's like, you know, uh, like, quote unquote, goddess time, that's what some people like to call it, um, in the evening where you wind down and you have one hour where you really like devote time to the more feminine, sensual part of you. You know, it's just, it, it sort of depends on um, what it is that you really need in your lifestyle, but it's really about being, taking ownership of that and responsibility of your own turn on. So we get into that in pillar two. Pillar three this one is particular to the women. I feel like all the other pillars uh, are a lot more um, accessible to, to everyone, but this is about flowing with your feminine. And this is particular to women because of our, um, because of our flow throughout the month, um, our, our, our monthly cycle. And so it's really about starting to understand who we are throughout the month, how different we are every week based on the completely different levels of our hormones. Um, so we're really four different people throughout the month, hormonally speaking, and how we can start to ally with the natural rhythm of our bodies and how we can connect that to the fact that we live on a planet that is cyclical and seasonal. And if we can start to own and notice our own cycles, our own seasons within the month, within the year, that we actually start to become even more aligned with our natural, like primal way of being, right? And so there's a lot of education there that's missing. Sometimes it means we have to do some hormonal work, um, but often even if you're a-okay on the hormones, which P.S. most women are not, <laughs> whether it's adrenal fatigue, thyroid, like there's a lot of hormones. It's not just estrogen and progesterone. But even if you're a-okay on that side of things, really getting more in this, in this rhythm, in this cycle, in this flow is a, is a huge superpower because we are able to 
just be awesome at different things throughout the month. And how cool is that? I mean, one fact that I found mind blowing when I first heard it is, is the idea that women right before they bleed. And I think maybe on the first couple of days of their bleed, actually when they did some like brain scans on them are able to, they're sort of naturally in a state that other people are in when they meditate. So we just walk around like we don't even need to meditate. I mean, obviously you would go way deeper if you did, but like we just walk around in a sort of meditative state and how how cool is that, that we don't even need to work to get to that state. Is that why I bump into things when I'm like right about to get my period? I'm just like the clutziest, clumsiest person. Totally. It happens to me too. I start like dropping knives. On the planet earth. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And so like here's, and actually there's, I can't remember which hormone is responsible for that, but we actually get less coordinated right before we bleed. So it's, it's a thing, but that this theta state that we essentially are in can be so great if we very consciously choose to use it positively. Like we choose to take time to evaluate, to be, to really get quiet and present, but it's not great at all when we're like, I have to get 17,000 things done. And like, you know, and why am I so tired? Let me drink six cups of coffee because I just have to get this done it's like, and sometimes that happens because it's life, you know, obviously we can't choose everything, but that, you know, we feel like it's a curse when in fact it's actually a superpower. We just have to align with it. And so that's really what this pillar is about is just lifestyle design a little bit. And then ultimately we get to pillar number four, which is the best, which is embodying your ecstasy. Like who doesn't want that? (laughs) And it's about drinking up all the nectar of the work you did in the last three pillars where we're essentially integrating all these parts of you. So I also work with archetypes as we go through these pillars. And so we've got, you know, we talked about our inner child in the first one. In the second one, we get into our sensual siren. In our third, we get into our warrior queen, the sort of more primal um, leader inside of us. And so how do we integrate all these pieces? How do we integrate our masculine and our feminine both inside of us? And then how do we show up in the world in partnership, romantic partnership, in business partnership? Uh, in partnership with our own business, maybe not a business partner, but our actual business, right? Like what are all these different ways that we can show up now as like a fully integrated woman who's embracing her full range and has done all this work so that you can really walk around feeling incredibly alive and ecstatic, which is like what we all, I imagine we all want. I know I want that. I know all my clients want that. Do you want it, Jamie? <laughs> um, yes, I do. Thank you. Please sign me up. <laughs> so, what do you yeah. think are the big? What do you think is like? I want to say the biggest thing that that gets in the way, you know, of being able to feel ecstatic in your everyday life and show up, you know, for your business and for your relationships and for yourself in a way that is highly pleasurable and joyful. Fear of getting into your body, actually connecting. Because for most of us, we've been, you know, we grew up and we still live in a world that does not value um, embodiment. It values productivity. It values everything that's like really cognitive and rational. And it's like the do, 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 right? Go, go, go mode. Um, And there's a lot of rhetoric around like suck it up no pain, no gain, you know, that sort of a thing. And so, so many of us just walk around going, what do we need to do to numb out, to like just completely not feel whatever is going on in our bodies, whether that's a physical pain, which many of us have some sort of physical pain, whether it's an emotional pain, oh, I can't even deal with this thing. I'm just going to like work myself to death. Um, or a misalignment, um, you know, just like in our, in a, with our energy, our soul, or this other piece. And so I think that w- most people don't want to open that door because they've stuffed so many things in there that it's going to be like an avalanche when they open it, Um, which is why having an embodiment coach is a great way because it's like, it's sort of like bringing in like a closet organizer instead of having to do it on your own. You're like, great. I've got like a partner in this journey and I'm ready to finally like clean up this, this area of my life. And so, um, I think there's immense fear and I understand it being someone who was incredibly disconnected, who had to 
forcefully disconnect because I had like two ulcers at 16. I had some issues with my knees that stopped me from being able to be a, a professional ballerina, which was really my like dream as a kid. And so I felt like my body betrayed me. I had a lot of sexual offenses, which then shut me down from that piece. I, all my sensual and my erotic um, or had me have like a very bizarre uh, relationship with that piece of me and so on and so forth. Got into film, which, you know, as much as I loved pieces of film, the parts that were really challenging was that we didn't sleep at all. We ate we had to eat whatever was in the budget, which, you know, I know I made those decisions. So sorry guys. Um, but it was often pizza and burritos and, you know, these sort of things that my body just was like a no to. And so, um, I think that I have, I just have so much compassion. I have so much compassion for people who are like, you know what, I'm just not even going to address that part. It's just easier. I like over here, I'll just keep taking Advil. I keep taking my birth control. I'll keep doing all the things so that I just don't have to feel what it actually feels like um, to be in my body. And um, the truth is, you know, like anything else in your life, when it's a little messy or when it's a little bit painful, like we have to look at it like straight, you know, right at it and just give it space to like, I mean, I feel like with any pain, you just have to like let the pain speak. And then before you know it, a good chunk of it is actually like, there's more fear around, oh, I can't even open the closet. But once you open the closet and a few things fall out, you're like, oh, okay, it's just gonna take a couple of days and then we're gonna get through this. And it's gonna be great. Um, and so I think it's the same. I'm curious, and this kind of, it goes a little bit deeper on the sexuality topic. Mm -hmm. for those of us who don't feel safe completely in our sexuality, you know, for men or women uh -huh. and that kind of being a big block to like, it may come from trauma. It may not. Uh -huh. What, what's something that you would tell people to do um, to kind of get started on that healing journey? Hmm. So this one is tricky because my response is to actually go back to pillar number one of like, okay, well, where do you not feel safe in your body first and foremost before we get into the sexuality? But I'm going to, so I just want to preface that. But I think if we were, if we had already done some of the safety work there, there some of the nervous system work there, um, what I often tell my feet, like my women clients is first thing in the morning for 30 seconds, 30 seconds, like no excuse to not do this. 30 seconds. You just bring your hands. You don't even have to open your eyes yet. You could also do this once you're standing and out of bed, but you could easily just do it while you're laying down. You literally just have your hands start at the crown of your head and you just slowly make your way down your body. So it could be with a very soft touch. Sometimes, you know, people like to do little taps. So sort of like tapping, but not like particularly organized tapping, just sort of tapping to wake up all your nerve endings. It could be a little massage. It could be like just a curious exploratory, like, hey, how does my body actually feel like instead of me looking in the mirror and judging like, oh, that little section that I need to work on? Because we're so, both men and women, we're so primed to like manage our bodies like projects. Like, oh, let me fix that little corner and let me do this and let me go to, you know, to this class or this trainer so I can like chisel this piece and like all the things. And so often it's this very external out of body experience, even though we're in our, you know, people are like, Oh yeah, I go to the gym. I do this. It's like, yeah, that's not embodiment. If you're not actually present, it can be, if you are lifting those weights and you were so it present with every single sensation, the touch, the temperature, um, the texture, the, um, you know, what taste is in your mouth, even as you're like, you know, lifting the weight, like every, if you really just take inventory of your senses and you're constantly doing it over and over again, then I would say that, yes, you are lifting weights embodied, but often people are looking in the mirror. They're thinking about who they might become once they finally have that thing that they want, which is why they're at the gym. And that's actually very heady and very disconnected. 
Um, so I think coming back to touch as one sensation, it's a beautiful way to really just reconnect to your body and also to like very, you know, very simply like signal to your nervous system that you are safe, right? You like feel your own touch. It's a self-soothing mechanism. It's also a chance to reclaim your body. Um, for guys, I got to say, I'm still figuring this piece out. Like part of my journey this year in business is that I've been working with women for so long and I, I got this very clear intuitive hit, like, okay, it's time to bring the men into this conversation. And so part of what I'm doing right now is just sort of behind the scenes research as to how men do get embodied. And to be honest, so far, a lot of the answers I've been getting are men who think that they're getting embodied. Like they're like, oh, I go to the gym, I do this. And I'm like, okay, but do you really feel connected to your body? And for a lot of them, it's a no. Um, and so this is a piece of the mystery that I'm still cracking myself. Like how do guys um, most efficiently plug into their embodied primal, you know, sexual energy? Mm-hmm. Well, you'll just have to keep us posted on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, the themes seem to be that there's a lot of, uh, it's a lot about emptying out so that they're a vessel of consciousness um, that can be filled with whatever. There's, it's a lot around accessing muscles and power. Um, but because I haven't really worked with men's bodies, it's like this really cool new frontier that I'm like, Ooh, tell me more. I want to know all the things. <laughs> so I will keep you guys updated. Yeah. I'm curious because you touched on the film budget thing earlier and how part of the struggle with like, oh, I love film, but, you know, you kind of get, you know, you don't sleep and you kind of get stuck with like cheap food that isn't necessarily healthier. It doesn't make your body feel good when you eat it. Um, I'm curious for people who are listening who, you know, are on a budget or feel really limited in their finances and might struggle with, you know, well, how do I kind of put my body first and yeah. focus on feeling good when I don't feel like I can necessarily, you know, what I'll say, like afford the best foods that make me feel great or, yeah. um, you know, learn all the things, take all the classes, hire all the coaches. If they're in a position where they feel like they really want to start this journey and they really want to become more embodied to access, you know, to feel better and to feel more integrated in their life and also to have a better creative and ultimately financial flow too. Like, you know, we're having this conversation, but feeling terrible and contracted is a hundred percent not helping your financial situation either. So yeah. I wonder, um, you know, what advice would you give to somebody who is kind of, yeah, I'm into this and I want to take some steps forward, but how can I do that in a really financially you know, what I want to say is cautious, mm -hmm. cautious slash responsible way for their situation. Yeah. I think that, you know, um, I, really meal prepping is a huge like budget saver. And I think working backwards, like let's get really pragmatic, like, okay, how much do you want to spend a week on food? Right. Write down that number and then work backwards on, you know, in terms of like, okay, well, what makes me feel good um, is it that I just need that I eat too, you know, I, I don't have enough protein in my diet or is it that I'm not eating enough vegetables? Is it that I think I might be intolerant to something, right? Because here's the other thing, like what I see often, I think people are getting more educated and better about it, but what happens often is like a lot of people eat like 90%, like pretty awesome, but they're eating that one thing and it could be the most random thing. It could be like almonds, Okay. But they're eating that one thing that's really like messing with their entire system because actually it's like poison. Their system thinks of it as poison. If you're just taking out that one thing, it can actually uh, require you to eat less healthy all in all, right, with everything else because it's really that thing that was like fatiguing you and exhausting your immune system. So I think like just getting clear on what is it right now that doesn't have me feel good in the way that I'm eating. And then I think like if you work backwards from your budget and you meal prep, meal prepping is huge in terms of how much it saves per week. Just think about even if it's like once or twice a week where you might order, you know, takeout or um, order in because you just didn't have time to make a meal. If you've prepped it ahead of time, you're going to save a good chunk of money just right there. Um, so that's like super, super pragmatic. Also, um, eating one less meal, if you are someone who eats meat, like 
seeing, okay, what are like educating yourself on like, well, what are the other forms of protein? And can I have one meal a day that's more vegan or vegetarian that has plant-based protein, which is usually cheaper. Um, so I think there's a lot of ways. There's a ton of blogs. Um, there's, um, you know, I, I have a, um, a course that I had a while back um, where I, I, I went super into all of these like tips and tricks of how to eat healthy without the hassle, which part of the hassle is, you know, financially splurging at Whole Foods. Um, I think having like a co-op, um, what is it, like the CSA deliveries are great ways to save money where you just get local fruits and vegetables delivered. You know, it's a $40 box and then you have it. And so you make it work for the week. Um, there's a ton of tips and tricks. I could, I could do a whole podcast on it. Um, but I think really that's the pragmatic piece. But the mindset piece here is, um, is realizing, and this is, this is really what matters is realizing that, like you said, Jamie, the contraction and the feeling like, I'm just going to like pretend all this other stuff that isn't, feeling good in my body isn't happening. And I'm just going to like push, 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 push to try to make this money because I'm in all this fear around not being able to pay my bills or not being able to, you know, make rent or whatever next month. And the more you contract, the less you're actually allowing life force energy to flow through you, which includes erotic energy, includes money energy, it includes creative energy. It's all of those are the same channel, which is your body. And if your body is like clogged up like a pipe, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, well, I'm putting all these good things through the pipe. It's like, yeah, but it's clogged up. So does it is how much are you really absorbing, you know, in terms of nutrients and whatnot? So I think there's that piece, too, is just realizing that we're coming out of a paradigm and we're shifting nice and slowly from a paradigm that was like, oh yeah, if you just push really hard, no pain, no gain and suck it up, that you're going to be successful when whether, you know, and of course one way that that shows up is financially. But really the truth is that for a lot of us, slowing down, feeling more, opening up our vessel and actually using our body as the compass for creativity is going to yield not only a just more upgraded like, experience of the day and of life but it's also going to ultimately like get you more feeling more abundant on every level because you're in that vibration of openness you're in that vibration of like feeling and so you can feel everything and like allow it to come in um, including uh, the moolah you know so true so I have one more question to wrap this up before we say bye and you tell us all the places where we can stalk you. Great. Um, it's a question I ask every guest and there's no right or wrong answer <laughs> personal. And the question is if you had $5 million just gifted to you in a bank account, like from a benefactor, no strings attached, no taxes to worry about. Like it's just there for you to use however you want to use it. Uh, what would you do with that money? What a tease. Okay. I love it. I love it. Mm. I think, you know, I think it would probably go. I, my first instinct is that it would sort of be split into three pieces. One piece would be, um, to, to my business, like just to keep growing, uh, especially the embody movement class piece, like getting more teachers trained around the world, because I truly believe that the more we can get people into these classes and having these amazing cathartic moments in one hour where they're like, oh, wait a second, hold on, being in my body can actually feel awesome. And I'm ready to like move into that, like that will actually make the world a better place because I truly believe more embodied people are just going to help heal the world. And heal. I mean, they'll heal themselves, right? Um, so I feel like a third of it would go back into business. Um, I would feel like a third of it would go into establishing an NGO around using movement and embodiment like in in just developing countries and war-torn countries, especially areas with a lot of trauma. Um, I would love for there to be like, I would just like hire someone who does all that and knows all the NGO world and would just like make, make dancing and movement like a key part of their, 
um, trauma healing process. And then I would say the other third, I would probably just like donate. Wait, hold on. I should take a vacation. (laughs) Does that count in the business piece? Um, Okay, so maybe the third piece would be split 50-50, where 50% would just be donated to a couple of organizations that I love that also are doing the type of work that I love to do, and then I would definitely spend a little bit of money on myself. So I don't know, you know, that could be a whole bunch of different fun, indulgent things from vacationing to buying some cute clothes and whatnot. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, So tell us if somebody wanted to learn more about one of your embodied dance classes or other, other ways of kind of checking out all of the awesomeness that you provide, where should they go? And, and you don't have to get like really detailed about links or anything like that because we'll be putting those in the show notes, but um, what would be the best first step? The best first step is um, to find me on social media, which is just, you know, it's my name on both Instagram and Facebook. And um, I find that, you know, I do a lot of expressing a lot of, um, you just get to know me a lot more. A lot of people say they feel really intimately connected to me when they uh, follow me in one of those platforms. And then um, for Embody classes, if you're interested in looking them up, seeing if there's any classes in your neighborhood, because I do, I currently have 15 teachers around the U.S. who are teaching, so there might be one in your neighborhood. And if not, I have digital classes on there that you can do in your own living room. You can bring your, like, friends. You guys can all dance together. You can do it in the garden. You can do it in, you know, wherever. Um, All of that's on the Embody website, um, which we'll link. It's just Embody Dance Class. Um, and we'll link that, I guess, Jamie will link it in the show notes. And then I also have my coaching site, which is just nadiamama.com. Um, but I'm really way more active on social media and, um, following me there is like a great way to just get a sense of who I am and to hear me just speak to more of all these topics that we just like brushed on today. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, Nadia. I really love you and appreciate you. (laughs) I love you and appreciate you too. Awesome. This was an incredible episode and um, I took a lot of notes. There are so many takeaways. So I'm excited for you guys to, uh, you know, check out all this stuff, all of my notes that will be available to you in the show notes and all the wonderful links. Thank you so much, Nadia. This was amazing. And um, as always, guys, create like you mean it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Creatives Making Money, but don't go anywhere without subscribing. And remember, after the show, it's the after party. We do a weekly after party on Facebook Live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. I'll be jamming there on special actionable takeaways for you from that week's episode. Go to creativesmakingmoney.com slash after party to join us and make sure that you like the page to get updates whenever I go live. And if you're looking to connect with more listeners and like-minded creatives, you totally can. Part of the purpose of this podcast is to create conversation. And my biggest hope is that you continue the convo in our private online Facebook lounge. You can head to creativesmakingmoney.com slash group to join the free group. And as always, you can find all important links and details in this episode's show notes available at creativesmakingmoney.com slash Nadia Munla. Don't hesitate to head over there now. And as always, create like you mean it. This episode is sponsored by Copy That, my signature course for writing websites that speak volumes and sell, something that every creative making money for sure needs. To learn more about my approach to writing that sells, you can visit thecopythatcourse.com slash free training.